Welcome to the Money Tree Real Estate Investor Podcast, where we learn from real estate professionals across the industry. They will share about how they got into real estate, the big wins they have celebrated, the mistakes they have made along the way, and the advice they have for anyone following in their footsteps. Money really does grow on trees. Hey everybody, William Holland here. I've got a great guest today, uh, Stuart Berryhill. Um, I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, one thing I will say beforehand, though, is we both have a, a love of basketball and a love of Jesus. So, you know, that that's already got us as friends. That's right. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast. And yeah, I'll, I'm a guy who I don't know if I'm a, what's it called? Master of all trade, master of none, whatever, jack of all trades, master of none. I'm, I'm a little bit on uh, in a bunch of different areas right now, but and coming out of college, I was a teacher and a basketball coach at a small private school and enjoyed it. I had a lot of, I guess, we had a lot of success basketball-wise, had really good players. I love the journey of coaching basketball. I think it's really fun, and I just love the tactical X's and O's of it, too, and game planning and things like that, which is probably part of real estate and why I like underwriting deals and business plans, and I think it kind of correlates. But uh, with teaching, actually, the last year of teaching, I was able, with it being a smaller school, you're doing a lot of different jobs. So I taught algebra two, geometry, junior high history. And then I also taught like wow. our Bible class, but I was able to make that kind of like a financial literacy class as well. And so I started to develop uh, a financial literacy, literacy curriculum for the high school students. And so uh, because I was starting to get into real estate and things like that in business, and I wanted to just share what I knew and I thought man, high schoolers need to know this. They're hungry for we um, On the van rides or bus rides to basketball games, they would always ask me questions about finances and things like that. Once they knew I was involved, how do you do this? Great. And yeah. they're all doing cool stuff too, um, or interested in doing cool stuff. And um, anyways, so now from that, I guess, financial literacy curriculum, I do a podcast called Money Vision U and the tagline is the financial class you should have had in high school. So the target audience is like 16 to 24 years old. And a bunch of my old high school students listen to it, uh, you know, got the financial literacy topics of, you know, the retirement accounts or the five asset classes, things like that. But then I'll also have young people on like a 17 year old buying a duplex, 19 year old house really? hacking, 20 year old in college yeah. who's doing a little spray tan business on the side in their dorm room, things like that that are fun and that just challenge mo and motivate young people. So that's kind of the passion play of mine. But uh, the nine to five right now is definitely I'm an insurance agent, but I'm commissioned. So I have a little bit more control of my time. And then real estate entrepreneur is what I like to say, just because we're growing our portfolio. We do Airbnbs and I like the insurance side of it because it has synergy with real estate. And so I'm networked in that area. I have a lot of clients who've just become friends and real estate and things like that. So that is, I guess, where I'm at right, right now doing the doing the real estate uh, entrepreneurship and insurance agent side of things, but have my hand in the cookie jar and a few cookie jars, so to speak. Definitely. So um, I want to just shout you out. So you won state as an assistant coach in basketball and you won state as a head coach in basketball. So those are pretty big deals. That's awesome. We, we did. And it, we had really good players. Like I don't, <laughs> I think uh, coaches probably get too much credit for certain things because it really comes down to the players and the talent you have. And, uh, they were, I mean, also coming in, they had won already two state championships in a row. And so now there's this young guy, I think I'm 24, 25 at the time taking over because the old varsity coach went to coach the girls. Cause his daughter was on that team. And, uh, 
so yeah, they, they, they listened to me and respected me. I don't even know if what I was telling them was that great. Um, but, uh, we made it work. And the, I think the one thing I let them do that was correct was let them be athletic because they were. So I let them run full court, full court press. We're trying to score in five seconds or less, trying to score 80 a game. So uh, it was fun and uh, we we had some success, but it's definitely the players <laughs> that deserve more of the credit. And and I, I think we have a couple other things in common as far as basketball. So I'm 5'9 and a half. You said you're 5'9. Yep. Uh, you had a, a shattered uh, forearm. forearm. Yeah. And, and I've had uh, high school. I've had shoulder surgery and, and most recently ankle surgery this year. So, you know, I, I think our, our NBA careers are cut short before they even started, sadly. Yeah, we're, we're going to blame the uh, broken bones rather than the 5'9", the white boy <laughs> athleticism on our NBA careers. <laughs> Not coming to Definitely. fruition. So I would have been I'm the also... next Michael Jordan otherwise, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Same. So I'm also super passionate about um, teaching people education and, and financial topics. Um, you know, I would say, I would argue even, you know, I study mechanical engineering. I would argue that a financial course could potentially be more valuable long run, long term than anything that you learn in college or high school, uh, arguably. I mean, take it or leave well, it. Yeah. And that's where you're going to get me going off on a lot of tangents because um, I don't know if financial literacy should not, not only should be, should it be a high school course, it might need to be the center of all core courses. So, because one, so my, I, I always hated the question coming from a student, when am I ever going to need to use this? Right. And if you're a teacher, you hate that question, but the problem is a lot of times it's valid. And a lot of times it's from the C student who's often probably, probably the more entrepreneur minded. Um, but that's besides the point right now. But anyways, I think financial literacy should be a center in all of the core subjects. Imagine having, you know, you're looking at business deals or something in math class a little bit, learn all your concepts, but tie in financial literacy. Imagine if in English, you read some sort of finance book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad and did essays on that. You can still read Shakespeare, but at least incorporate it. Imagine if in history, we talked more about how, and they do sometimes touch on it, but teachers don't always understand the drastic effect of it. But um, when in 1971, when Richard Nixon took the dollar off the gold standard, what that meant and now why savers are losers, as Robert Kiyosaki says, and inflation is through the roof now. I don't know how you tie it in with science, but <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll find a way. Yeah. But anyways, financial literacy should definitely, I mean, be at the center of education, in my opinion, because one, you got to be literate. And then second, you got to be financially literate, in my opinion. And that's when you can take control of things for yourself and have uh, be more empowered. Um, and so and then on the side point of that with college, I think sometimes we get business classes from a lot of people that haven't run a business. And like if I'm learning business, I want someone me personally, I want someone who's run a multimillion dollar business. I want them to show me how to get to that rather than just work for the man. And so, uh, you know, getting a Ph.D., and business is one thing. Building a one million dollar business, multi million dollar business, to me is another, and to me is more a more valuable education. 
Yeah, for sure. And, and as far as college goes, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of people. I have family members, you know, who did not go straight to college. They went and got a job. They figured out what they liked. And now they can tailor their degree to exactly what they need to make it to that next step in their career. And I, I honestly, I went to college, you know, and I've, I've benefited greatly from it. I've benefited from the Aggie Network. Uh, go Aggies. <laughs> <Old pig. laughs> Um, but man, I, I would encourage people to even like explore that route as well. And I think, fun, like, yeah, like, so I went to college too, but I think people don't look at the ROI on a college degree because I always say there's, if you look on Google, there's five educate, uh, asset classes, but to me, there's six asset classes. You got business, crypto, real estate, um, commodities, paper assets. And to me, the sixth is education. Uh, well, an asset is anything you invest in that puts money in your pocket. Education can do that. Sometimes people, though, invest in education in college and do something that they're never going to use. So for me, it was kinesiology. I use it for a little bit. I don't use it now. Some people, you know, never end up using it, let alone not factoring the ROI. Like, you know, we need people working in social work, but are you factoring in the ROI? If you're only making $40,000 a year and your upside isn't much more, $50,000 a year, you know, is the education cost worth it? And so I think in high school, like people need to learn all the different options. Trade schools is not talked about enough because some people shoot electricians and plumbers. You should see what they're charging me right now. For, they make for more money than I do. <laughs> yeah. Like in uh, the trucks that they're driving and all that stuff, like shoot all that stuff, beauty school, you know, if you want to be a hairstylist, things like that. Um, and then you can run your own business. You know, it's not hard, hard to work in it a little bit and then start your own business or something like that. And so I think there's a lot of def different alternatives than to just go to a university level, uh, let alone not thinking or factoring in the ROI. But yeah, that's, that's another thing in high school, I think needs to be explored more is the other options outside of just, Oh, you have to go to college because I, I went to a private high school and that was like the natural next step. Where are you going to college? It's not what do you necessarily want to do. It's just where you go, where are you going to college? And then what do you want to do? And I think that's almost a little bit backwards. What do you want to do? Does that require college? If you want to be a doctor? Yeah, you got to go to college. If you want to be a lawyer? Yeah, you got to go to college. Um, but you want to be, I don't know, even an entrepreneur? Not necessarily. So I think there's some things, I think there's some things that we can definitely be doing better in, uh, in teaching and leading young people, especially at that high school age. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Well, you want to dive into real estate now? Let's do it. I love real estate. Let's talk about it. <laughs> okay. So um, you are actively and passively invested in 241 units in the Southwest. Um, what does that look like right now for you? Yeah, Southeast. Um, but um, the, so I'm a passive and an active investor in different deals in Augusta, Georgia. That's just kind of the way some things have worked out. I actually more pride myself on the things that my brother and I, we kind of 50, 50 and stuff and have more full ownership on. So, um, you know, you got the 241 units and whatnot, but in our own backyard, which I'm from Little Rock, Arkansas, that's where we really try and focus on is we have 30 units right now, 30 under contract and we have all the equity. Well, on 12 of those, of those units, we raise money and split some equity more, but the other ones we have all the equity in. And um, so that that's what we're doing, trying to grow the portfolio right now. Syndication's nice, but I, I prefer personally 
trying to find smaller deals and having more equity in the deals. And then you can have more control on maybe holding it longer because I don't necessarily like flipping a deal in three to five years. To me, that just means you have to go find another deal. I want to find a good deal that cash flows and hold it. And I'm after passive income. And so that's why I like real estate, but I want to invest in real estate with that end goal in mind as well. It's awesome. So because of that, you kind of transitioned into Airbnb. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about the 12 units that you just mentioned. Yeah. So we have, so of those 30 units we have right now, six are Airbnbs. 12 of those are under, we just closed on 12 units in hot Springs. It's technically hot Springs, which is 45 minutes from Little Rock, very touristy area. And those 12 units we're going to be converting to all short-term rentals. And actually we're going to be able to make two extra units out of that. So it's going to be 14. So after that remodel is finished, which should be in about three months or less, we'll have technically 21 Airbnbs. And so basically we're leveraging the investing in real estate side of things, but getting the extra cash flow from the Airbnb side of things. So I look at Airbnb as a business, uh, real estate as the investing. And we're kind of matching those together because we're using the Airbnb side of things and an appreciable asset like real estate. And uh, also when we buy our Airbnbs, we always make sure it works as long-term rentals first. So we always have a plan B. So if these 12 units didn't work as short-term rentals, which we're pretty darn confidently confident that they will, we can easily rent them as long-term rentals and do just fine. And if, you know, they're not going to be Airbnbs. Then we probably just end up selling the deal, making the money, moving on, finding the deal that actually works for us for long-term. But we always do buy these Airbnbs with the long-term renter or rental goal as uh, the backup plan. Passive investors in real estate are able to receive a check every month. Some people call that mailbox money. We say money really does grow on trees. Visit the website at biggerpictureholdings.com where we have a ton of free resources to help you learn more about planting your very own money tree. Super cool. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of people looking for that, you know, the, the cash flow and the, the passive income and it's just, it adds up. Yeah. Yeah. Airbnbs can definitely, and it doesn't have to be the nicest shoot. Our first deal that we bought is probably our best one because <laughs> it was, it's a, it's a fourplex with two houses that came in the portfolio. So we only renovated one of the houses currently. The other one, you could almost say it's totaled because the renovation would cost just, uh, more than it's worth right now, especially right now, but the four units. So we actually let one long-term tenant stay because he wanted to, and he paid a good rent for it. Um, but the other three Airbnbs and that for that house with it, shoot, it cash flows like at least two grand a month on average. And so that's, that's pretty darn good when you're looking at a, a full course of a year and it's not as hard to manage them as people think. We found a great, uh, I guess, co-host, it's kind of funny how that whole story turned out, but we found a great co-host that works with us, enjoys working with us. And now he's just like fully on board as a, he's just a team member now. And so he helps with that and help make, make, uh, make the transition smooth for us, but it's not as hard to manage as you think. I actually sometimes think it's better and easier to manage Airbnbs than long-term rentals when you don't need as much as many units to have the same cash flow but you're keeping the units in good shape as you're turning them pretty often and cleaning them. And you're on top of maintenance requests because you have mm -hmm. to be to get a five-star review. That's so important mm -hmm. and things like that. So 
so yeah, we definitely like the cash flow with the Airbnbs. Um, just make sure you buy in a market where city is not regulating it. That that would be a, a hiccup in what you're doing, but that is definitely an important factor that I don't think a lot of people make sure to keep in mind because that, that'd be bad. But if you're buying to where it can be a long-term rental backup, then I guess you're okay either way. So how would you find that information on whether the city was regulating Airbnbs? Yeah, good question. So generally I just call the city planning um, and you know, I've kind of just built my own spreadsheet of things that um, what city requirements are. Some allow it, some allow it with certain contingencies. Some have none. And then some just don't allow it. Like I think Atlanta's just outlawed them or something like that. And, or maybe they have certain contingencies, like you can have one, but it has to be your personal resident. I can't remember what exactly Atlanta is. Memphis, I don't think has any contingencies. And so I called them and that's what they said. Yeah, we don't really have any rules on that right now, which is like more power to you. You're getting all that tax, extra tax income, helping the city out that way. So um, I just call the city uh, planning department and ask them. Usually they can, usually they actually have a short term rental like department that they point me to. And then they help me out and then I can weigh if it's worth it or not. Because if it's just figuring out the zoning, then it may be worth it. Sometimes you have to get a special zoning permit, but um, or a business license, and that that can be easy if it's a smaller property or something. So it really it it really just depends on the city. But yeah, you just got to call the city and and see what they say is how I've done it. That's cool, man. Well, I'd love to hear. Uh, you've had a, a lot of success already so far. Um, is there any other big wins that you'd like to? to celebrate or discuss and then uh, any losses or mistakes or lessons learned that you can share with the viewers and listeners. Big wins and big losses. Um, I guess I'll actually start with the losses. To me, my worst mistake in real estate so far has been selling what we've had. I don't know why, because on my podcast, I often talk about like, you're you're becoming more financially literate when you're able to align your investing with your goals. Well, what's my goal? It's financial freedom. How am I going to get financial freedom? Passive income. So you could maybe get that from, you'd have to have a lot of shares and stocks to get that from dividends and stocks. You'd have to go Warren Buffett style there and have <laughs> um, a large percentage of ownership, or you can get passive income through business or real estate. Those are the other two asset classes. And so I'd naturally kind of chase real estate because business wasn't necessarily for me at that point. Um, but looking back, it's like, why did I sell those properties? It was cash flow flowing great. It was easy management. I had a resident in there that didn't necessarily want to leave and was going to be there for a long time. It was just easy. And uh, so I, I, even though it was a single family home, a lot of people are anti-single family homes and things like that, which, you know, they, they have the reasons for that. But like, this was an easy property to manage shouldn't have sold it, should have kept the four or $500 mailbox money coming in each month. And then just keep multiplying that with other properties rather than sell it. Um, so that would be a loss that I would say, but I also, I do also want to say this when I look at losses in finance, I think, I think a, a better word that I use for, for people that are getting into real estate, as I think that's kind of the target audience here, real estate business, whatever it is, don't look at it as losing money. Look at it as a cost of tuition. <laughs> so if I, a lot of people, I think get analysis paralysis on their first deal, 
find something where you think it works. And then if it doesn't, it's okay. Like, and maybe that's not the financial advice thing to say, but we pay four years of college tuition to go get a degree. Who knows if some people even actually end up using it, let, let alone want to use it 10 years from now. Um, you pay a lot of money, tens of thousands. You can pay a little bit of tuition money to go learn about the stock market, to go learn about real estate, to go learn about starting a business, just completely reframe it. And then I think you're not so scared to lose money. And I get it. It's hard to earn money, but I, I like rephrasing things to um, cost of tuition more than losses personally. But um, I, I just see a lot of people with analysis paralysis and that's why I like kind of framing it that way. But then wins, um, I really like that I've done it with my brother. I think I've done it with him from the start. I've never tried to do it alone. And one that's got us closer, It you know, we talk business together and that just leads naturally to other talks. Um, and I'm actually more of an introvert by, by nature. So it, it's nice, the networking component with other people talking about real estate and things like that. But uh, I really like doing it with my brother. I think that's been a, a big win from it. We've had we've had some really good deals. This twelve unit deal. I mean, if you just want to look a win, look at a win from nominal terms of like how much money something's going to make, then this twelve unit I think is going to be like a cash cow home run type of deal. Um, and so uh, I think that'll probably be our most successful deal. But outside of that, is probably working with my brother and then just staying consistent because I think a lot of people undervalue, I'll say this, going back to college degrees, I think we sometimes overestimate what a college degree does and underestimate what hard work and entrepreneurship can do. And so that consistency from just studying, because it was two years of planting roots and not having a real estate deal um, and just finally letting it grow over time. It's just really cool to kind of look back and see that path and the trajectory and see where you think the future's going, dream about the future and things like that. So that's kind of a broad answer on the wind, but that, that, that would be what I would say there. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I've, I've enjoyed this a whole lot and I've learned a lot as well. Um, is there any, anything else that you'd like to, to share with the viewers, whether that's, uh, you know, why real estate is good and for passive investors or uh, just some of your future plans? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, just, I guess, final advice would be align your investing with your goals, know your goals. If your goal is to be financially free before the age of 60, like, you know, retirement account isn't necessarily going to be the avenue for you then because you have to wait until you're 60 to be able to cash out that money. So maybe do it and not saying to not put any money into a retirement account, but what's your goals and dream for this? Like shoot big. And I, I believe the more financially literate you become, um, the more empowered you become. And I, I'm passionate about financial literacy because I think it, be, I think it creates better philanthropists. I think it creates better, better families, uh, and go givers as, as we like to say, uh, and we just need more of those. And so I'm, I love people, you know, chasing financial freedom. Maybe that's, not necessarily everyone's goal of being financially free by the time they're 35. They like, you like your job. You're a doctor. You enjoy helping people. That's your calling. Great. Do that. But for everyone on the podcast, I would just say, know your goals, align your investing with your goals. You want financial freedom, need passive income, which assets give the passive income, 
chase after those. And so uh, that that's what I would say to that question. It's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Stuart. I enjoyed it so much. You bet. Thanks for having me. Like and subscribe below. A new episode will air every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Are you looking for more content? Visit our website, biggerpictureholdings.com. And remember, money really does grow on trees.